Praise God. That's better, isn't it? Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. That's the nicest welcome ever. Um, and it was so nice. I had a little story I was going to tell you. And now I feel bad about telling the story. <laughs> so it just doesn't feel like it would be appropriate just to mention, because you want to know this guy better, and he's the, you know, little insights. And, and so I just, it wouldn't be appropriate to mention um, his imaginary best friend, <laughs> and whose name was Corcor. And so there was moments you'd walk in on Alan and you'd think, oh, Alan, is he praying? No, no, he's talking to Corcor. And then one day he got married and Corcor went away. Kelly replaced Corcor. <laughs> so if you see Alan and he's talking to himself and mumbling away, it might just be Corcor. Okay, enough of that stuff. Uh, so good to be with you guys, honestly, um, and privileged to be with you. Alan, love you, love you to bits. Um, and such a privilege to be with you at Community Church um, from Galway. Um, I'm still struggling with a little bit of uh, jet lag and sleep and all that stuff. Sometimes you're at church and somebody, there's usually somebody down the back, maybe a little bit older, who does the night shift who might fall asleep and nod off, and everybody totally understands that. This morning, there's a chance the speaker may fall asleep. That would not be good, so feel free to do an amen or two just to keep me going. I want to pass on greetings. My wife is not with me, um, and it's been strange not having her with me for a few days because um, I used to be able to dress myself. I am no longer able to do that. I've lost all confidence, so, you know, if this doesn't work, Caroline has often said to me, you're not wearing that, are you? So um, she's not here, but she would want to pass on love to you all. So privileged to uh, get to open up uh, God's Word with you this morning. So I'm going to open up in John's Gospel. If you've got your Bibles, you might open them up to the 21st chapter. We're going to read a little story together. And uh, just as you're getting that out, I might just pray. Holy Spirit, we uh, welcome you. Uh, we're so grateful that you come uh, to speak to us. Father, there's every chance in your grace you might speak through to me today. But I'm also so aware, Holy Spirit, that you will probably be speaking to people in this room quite independent of me, Lord, because you're a speaking God and, and, and Holy Spirit, you're just moving amongst us. So even as the scripture is read today, would you just release revelation and truth and life in this room so that lives will be changed for your glory? And everybody said, amen and amen. Praise God. So John's gospel, if the uh, scripture is there, um, afterwards, this is uh, John uh, beginning to communicate with, uh, with a local church. And he says, afterwards, Jesus appeared again, so this is after the resurrection, to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. And it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But, then, but that night, they caught nothing. So we know the scripture is true because if it wasn't, all fishermen say they caught something and it was this big. So this is a true book. These fishermen caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But uh, the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? So he knew something. it wasn't a good night for them. No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Praise God. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, it's a little funny moment in the gospel. John refers to himself. It's his gospel. He's like, I'm the one that Jesus loved. He gets to write that and say that again and again. I'm the one that Jesus loved. Um, he said to Peter, 
it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him because he'd taken it off to do the fishing and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and he gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. Amen. Praise God. Um, John's gospel is probably a little bit different to some of the other gospels because it came along after the others. Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written first, and when they were written, you might have thought, well, we've got Matthew and Mark and Luke's account. We probably have enough in that. Three Gospels. How many Gospels are we going to need? And John decides to write another Gospel much later than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Almost 30 years later, he decides to write another letter to another church, which we call the Gospel of John. And we might ask this morning, John, why did you do that? Why would you take the time to write another gospel? We've already got three of them, and surely we've heard the story. And John does that for a few very particular reasons. One of the reasons is he's writing to a church that time has started to pass. And some of the people in that church, they've never actually met Jesus in person. They never knew him in the flesh. And so all that they have is the stories that somebody else has given them. And so John says, I think I need to write to you because I need to restore to you a confidence about who Jesus is. And some of the people are maybe even beginning to wonder, well, if Jesus came and he did some stuff, well, that was great. And that was then. And that was in the past. And it, it made a difference to some people's lives. But time has passed. And he doesn't seem to have come back yet. And our lives are going on. And how does this Jesus who lived in the past, how does he impact our lives now today? And in fact, John is at such pains that we would know why he wrote his gospel, that near the end, in fact, just a few verses before the words we read today, he actually says to them, I'm going to tell you why I wrote this book. So he begins to explain to them, and he just basically says, man, all of the things that have been written in this book is so that you and I would know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Give me an amen this morning. He is the Messiah. So he's the one who's coming to save us and rescue us and redeem us and restore us. That's who Jesus is. And then he says, not only is he our Savior, but he says, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You can just build your life on that. He is the Son of God. In fact, he says, and believing those two things, knowing that he's your Savior, knowing that he is the Son of God, he says, you're going to have life because you believe in that. That's so good. The enthusiasm is good here in the room. We believe that because we know Jesus is the Savior and he is the Son of God. And so John's gospel, different to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John's at pains for us to get this one little thing. Jesus is significant. Jesus is the Son of God. That terminology 
isn't something we, we commonly get our heads around. What does that even mean? John, why do you use that terminology? And in fact, John uses that more than any of the other Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in those Gospels, Jesus refers to God as his Father many occasions. But John does it over a hundred times, more than those three books put together. Why do you do that, John? And it's because John is saying, John wants us to grasp, God, John wanted his hearers to understand who the Father was in relation to the Son. In, in, in our days, if you, know, if you meet the Son, you're like, yeah, this is my son, this is my daughter, this is my relative. But in those days, if you were going to have a covenant, uh, an agreement, uh, if you're going to enter into a business arrangement with somebody and the father couldn't go, what would happen is the father would send the son in his place. And when you got to the meeting, when the covenant was going to be signed, when the agreement was going to be entered into, nobody was looking around saying, where's the father? Nobody was asking that question because if the son was there, the father was represented. That's what was going on. If the son was in the room, the father was because the son had the DNA of the father. And that's why the scripture doesn't refer to Jesus as the cousin of God or the uncle of God or the tw twin of God. He's like, no, no, no. He's the son of God because if you've seen the son, then you know who the father is. And John is beginning to put to them, I want you to understand this Jesus who you haven't met in the flesh, I need you to know he's God. John is going to labor this so that they begin to grasp the significance of that. And in ancient documents, you guys will, will, will know this, in ancient documents, usually three times in any, in any letter that was written, if something was very important, they would repeat it. Once at the beginning, once in the middle, and then once at the very end. So John begins his gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they've got the stuff. It's Christmas messages. We're like, yeah, I'll open up my Bible. Christmas time, here we go. We're going to hear about a little baby uh, in a manger. We're going to hear about some shepherds and some stars and all that stuff. John's like, I'm not going to mention any of that. It's not that it's not important, but John is looking to emphasize not the humanity of Jesus, but the godness of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus. He's saying, I don't even need to mention that stuff. I'm just going to go straight to it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And then he just says these words, and the Word talking about Jesus was God. That's who Jesus Christ is. He is God. Then halfway through the book, he pauses again. He just he, he includes these little statements so that we don't miss it. He's like, let me tell you who Jesus is. Jesus, he quotes Jesus' own words. And Jesus just says, man, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Staggering statement. Everyone would have looked around. He's actually saying, if you've, and I, I don't understand it. It's, it's a mystery. But John is saying, don't miss this truth. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God because Jesus is God walking amongst us. Then near the end of his gospel, there's a little climax, little moment, amazing little moment. And it just finishes with Jesus encountering Thomas. And Thomas looks at him and he simply says, you are my Lord and my God. Fantastic. Thank you for joining me. You are my Lord and my God. That's what he says. That's who you are. And so we have this book written with absolute clarity. Um, John wants his hearers to know that Jesus Christ is God. You can trust him. You can walk with him. You can believe him. You can, you can go with him. You can build your life on that truth. Maybe you haven't met him in the flesh, but John's like, he is God. 
And then he's getting near the end of his book. So it's like building to a pinnacle. He's like Jesus is God. And seven times, John's writing, he's a Jewish man writing to a Jewish church. And seven times through the book, he, in fact, he uses seven multiple times in Jewish writing. That would be like completion or perfection. Seven times only does John record miraculous stories. And he says twice in the book, in fact, he says at the very end of that letter, uh, that gospel, he says, man, if all of the things that Jesus had done were written down, there wouldn't be enough books, there wouldn't be enough paper, there wouldn't be enough ink. Jesus Christ is unbelievable. But he only chooses seven stories. That's So seven miraculous moments. And of the seven, there's like they're building, like each one is revealing something. In fact, in the Greek, in, that, in the language that John is writing in, he uses the word revealed seven times as well. John is, re, uh, Jesus is revealing something about God. And after the resurrection, there's like three little revelations that take place, three of, of these. And so the first one, uh, and this is just all building, the first one, Jesus comes back, he's raised from the dead, and he walks in and, and he sees the disciples and they're like, wow, you're alive. And he's there amongst them. And he, could you imagine Jesus walking into the room? Everybody's looking at him. Everybody's encountering him. They understand that he's alive. They're full of joy. They're blown away. He looks at them in that moment. And as he's looking at them, um, he begins to say to them, I'm just going to give you the Holy Spirit. There's a revelation. He is the one who can give the Holy Spirit. And they're like, wow, you can do that? And he's like, I can do that. John's like, get it, guys. He's God. He can do that. He can give the Holy Spirit. And when are you going to do that? And he's just like, I'm going to do that right now. And then he says to them, and you're going to be involved in forgiving people their sins and, 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 and bringing them out of darkness and into light. And then he does a second encounter, a second revelation. Uh, and it's, it's, it's the fifth, it's the sixth time in the book. And it, again, it's building to this climax. And he's in the room with Thomas, and Thomas is there, and Thomas is full of doubt and questions and uncertainty. And Jesus looks at him, he says, full of compassion and kindness. He's like, Thomas, if you want to touch me, if you want to feel me, if you want to encounter me. And I, I can imagine Thomas thinking, well, if I touch you, my hand is probably going to go right through you. I'm a little bit nervous to do that, but his hands don't. And Thomas just gets this re revelation. Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus is alive. Jesus is the victor over death. Thomas is looking at him. He's like, I get it. I get what you're revealing right here today. Uh, you are showing us that God has conquered death once and for all. He just wrecks funerals. Jesus Christ is saying, this is who God is. Let me reveal that to you. And then we get to the seventh one in the book. The seventh revelation the third time that Jesus will reveal himself after he's risen from the dead, here is the climax of John's gospel. Here it is. Are you ready for it? What will it be? And here's what he, they encounter him again. And here's the resurrection. And I've read the scripture multiple times. Here it is. Brace yourself. Jesus can help you catch fish. Like all the fishermen in the room right now are like, amen. I just found my memory verse. This is now the verse I'm going to use every time I go out fishing. This is the promise that I'm building my fishing life on. That's it. That's it, John. 
That's the climax of it. Like this is your seventh revelation. You only choose seven miraculous stories. This is the last one, the pinnacle of what you're going to reveal to us about God. And here's the story that you help us catch fish. Have you run out of things to reveal, Jesus? Is that all that was left? Have you shown us everything there was to show us about God? Should we be content and you just come and it's a nice moment? Is that what we're left with? Well, I'm going to suggest there's probably three very quick things I'd love to say. And you probably will see something more profound and deeper than me as the Holy Spirit. And if you do, please grab me afterwards and tell me what that is. But I'm going to say three things. Number one, are you ready? Number one, Jesus comes to them on the shore and they're fishermen. And they know what they're doing. Peter, in particular, knows what he's doing. They've got a family business. They're in the boat. They've got the nets. The, the lake is full of water. The time to fish is at night. They know that. These are experts. And they're content. They know what they're doing. They're trained. They're experienced. They've got the nets. There's fish in the water. They, there's no reason they shouldn't succeed. And Jesus is on the shore, and he asks a question, but it's, I don't know if you noticed in the text, he doesn't just say to them, did you catch any fish? He says, you didn't catch any fish, did you? And I'm sure all of them kind of slightly embarrassed and slightly awkward. Oh, who's your man on the shore shouting at us? Please stop shouting. We're professional fishermen. Please stop telling everyone that we didn't catch any fish. And I just want to say this very simply this morning. And I think it's a profound truth. Do you ever feel like you should be further along? Do you ever feel like you, sh you know what you're doing? Like you've got all the things you need to succeed you know what you're doing. Someone's trained you to do it. You've, you should have figured it out by now. You've been in church a while. You've heard quite a few sermons. You've been around Bible studies. In fact, maybe you've even read some of the Bible and you kind of learned some stuff, but you're still not succeeding the way that you should be succeeding. And Jesus comes to you and to I this morning and he simply says, I know that, I know that you're failing. I know that you're not catching any fish. I know that you're not where you think you should be. I know that things are not working. I know that maybe you're disappointed in yourself. I know that maybe you're, you wish you were further along. I know that when you look at other people, they seem to have gone way past you where you are right now. And sometimes you look at yourself and you just feel utter disappointment or discouragement. Or in fact, maybe you're even sitting here today simply saying, I don't even try anymore. I'm not even in the game. I've just stood right out because... It just seems so, so hard. And every time I get up and try, I just seem to fail. I just seem to stumble. I just seem to fall. Jesus says to you and to me this morning, I know that you're failing. Not an amen in the room. So in those moments we're like, okay, do I get to say amen to that? Because sometimes I'm looking at somebody else and I'm thinking, man, they've got it together. I need you to know everybody in this room is failing. Everybody in this room is struggling. Everyone in this room is battling. Every one of us sometimes feel like, man, I should be further along. I should be further ahead. I, I know better. I know better than to speak like that. I know better than to act like that. And Jesus comes along and he says to you, I know exactly where you're at. And I can imagine the disciples saying, well, please don't tell anyone. And Jesus looking at them saying, I'm not telling anyone, but I want you to know that I know that you're failing. But I'm stepping in to your situation to turn things around. Jesus is saying this morning that your failures and your capacity to fail and your 
skills at failing, and the, some of us are like professional at failing, is not an obstacle to him stepping into our lives and turning any situation around. He is able to step into our marriages. Come on, church, this morning. He is able to step into the lives of our children. He's able to step into our walk with him. There is no area. In fact, he looks at you and he simply says, your failures and your past and your mistakes and your brokenness and your propensity to get it wrong is not an issue for me to turn your life around. I am stepping in to make a difference in your life. I want to fill you with confidence. I am here not to condemn you, not to discourage you, but to let you know I am stepping into your life so that your life will be different. Here's the second little thought. And this is the one I don't like. I wish this wasn't in the Bible. I am so sorry. He simply says to them, well, take your nets, throw them out the side. I love prayer lines. I love when people pray with me. I always get blessed. Praise God for all the people who do that. Praise God for when God just comes supernaturally and does something inside of me. Praise God for like the little moments where you just get zapped in your chair and you're like, wow, that just, that was the moment. But I want to say this morning, the key to change in your life isn't complex. It's not found at the end of a prayer line. It's not found in the counseling room. Praise God for all the counselors, but it's not found in any of those places. The place of transformation for us as individuals and for us as the body of Christ in this place, the place of transformation is the place of obedience. Give me an amen this morning. I wish it wasn't. I wish it was something else because I don't want to do that. And there's stuff, some of you are sitting here this morning and you know, you know what God is asking you to do. You know what he's inviting you into. You know what his voice has been saying to you. You know the steps that he's asking you to take. And sometimes it's just the next small step. But you know in your heart of hearts, that's what God is asking you to do. And I want to say to you this morning, if you would but say yes to him, it would be powerful and transformative in your life. God is in the business of taking our obedience, small and insignificant. And it wasn't as if... It was, they looked at him and said, well, surely it's something more complex than just throwing it out the side of the net. Do you want me to make the net fancy or clever or smart? Or so? And so I want to say to you this morning, it's not dependent on your giftedness. Come on, church. It's not dependent on your bank account, on your intelligence, on your abilities. It's simply dependent on your obedience. If you will but say yes to him, if there's a yes in your heart to him today, he will take your life and set it on fire. He will use you to change other people. Number three, last thought. Last thought. His response to obedience is blessing. His heart is to bless. And the way he blesses they're going to catch a ton of fish. In fact, they're going to catch 153 fish. 153. That's a little bit strange. Like, who counted the fish? <laughs> I have this picture in my head of John, and I don't know. Like, maybe baseball hasn't been invented. And he's like really a bored guy. Like he's one of those guys like, I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with my life. He goes down to the, the docks every day and the fishermen see him coming. They're like, oh no, it's your man again coming. He's the guy who counts the fish. Like he just comes down. He's like, he doesn't know what else to do with his time. So he's just counting fish. It's just what he does all the time. He's just, I don't, I don't think he's doing that. Why is he counting fish? What's he doing? 
153 fish. I mean, large fish, right? Large fish. It's so big, the scripture says, that the nets should have broken. And Peter has to go out to help pull in the 153 fish. And I don't know, but I have this suspicion in my heart that John is so aware that God has just blessed them. I mean, he's just blessed them that John is there and he begins to say, I I, I have to pause for a moment to begin to count the way that God has blessed me i got to begin to recognize his goodness in my life. I, I don't know when was the last time you did that in your walk with God, but to pause for a moment right now this morning and to be able to say, I'm so grateful, God, that I made it to church today. I'm so grateful to you, God, that I'm sitting beside brothers and sisters in this room today. I'm so grateful, God, that you found me when I was lost and you pursued me with your Holy Spirit. I'm so grateful, God, that there's a roof over my head, food on my table, and I've got a family around me that loves me. I'm so grateful. I just want to get a little bit personal this morning. I'm so grateful for my brother, Alan Cullen. So grateful. So grateful for his beautiful wife and his wonderful children. I'm so grateful to have a brother like you. I'm so grateful. And sometimes we just go through life and John's like, stop for a moment and say this morning, what if you began to count them? What if you were to begin to recognize the goodness of God in your life? I'm so grateful that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life in my place. I'm so grateful that he died on a cross for my sins. I'm so grateful that he didn't get off the cross, that he stayed there. I'm so grateful that God does not count my sins against me. I'm so grateful that I have been forgiven. I'm so grateful that I've been washed. I'm so grateful that I've been cleansed. I'm so grateful that I've been adopted into the family of God. I'm so grateful that on the third day, the tomb was empty. I am grateful for every good thing God has done in my life. Praise God for who he is and what he's done. And if that was it, I'd be like, yeah, that's a good revelation. That's a good revelation. He knows I fail. He's stepping in to help me succeed. He invites me into obedience and he's blessing me. And we could go home and everybody would say, oh, the Irish guy did okay. (laughs) Wasn't as good as his brother, but he did okay. But there's something else in the text. It's that the fish were big. Like there's only eight lads out fishing. And there's 153 fish. Jesus, you got a bit carried away there. Like that's just a lot of fish. And there's only eight of them. And you've already got fish on the fire and bread. I mean, how much fish can you eat? Now, I've been in your restaurants. And you Americans can eat big portions. But even with that, I mean, even if they have a fish each, this is more like 15, 16 fish. It's more than they could possibly big fish. It's more than they need. And I'm sitting there thinking, Jesus, that's just a little bit wasteful. Like, why did you need to do that? Why didn't you just give them what they needed? Seven or eight fish would have done it, and that would have been more than sufficient. And I think Jesus would say, I'm revealing something about God to you right now. I want you to know that God is not what you think he is. Some of you think he is mean, he is indifferent, he is uncaring, or that when he blesses you, he just does it occasionally in small ways. And John is saying, I want you to know that 
God is radically lavish in the way that he loves you. Jesus goes to, the story in John's gospel is like, Jesus goes to a wedding and everybody drinks all the wine. And if that was us and we were at the wedding and, and somebody needs to get more wine, we'd have said, I don't think so. You've had more than enough, you greedy lot. Look at you drinking all the wine. You've had more than enough. And maybe we'd say, okay, we'll get you two little bottles of wine and that'll do you. You'll be fine. You'll be grand. But Jesus says, I'm going to give you 160 gallons of wine. Why are you doing that, Jesus? I mean, what's going on? Why would you do that? And Jesus would say, because that's who I am. I'm generous. I'm lavishly generous. There's a, script, a moment in the scriptures in John's gospel, and there's all these people being following Jesus, and as they're following him, they're, they need food, and so they collect a little bit of food, and Jesus prays, and the food goes out, and John's gospel says, everybody's full. Amen. That's a good moment right there. Everybody's full. Everybody has enough to eat. And then John says, at the end, there was more than there was at the beginning. I want you to hear me this morning. Some of you think that God is mean or indifferent or occasionally wants to touch or change your life. And John says, he loves lavishly, lavishly loves you, loves you lavishly. Like just more than what you, Paul writing in the New Testament is like, if you, if you could begin to perceive and grasp how wide and deep and is the love of God, if you could begin to understand the lavish nature of the love of God. I'd love to invite the worship team to come and, and maybe create a moment where we could respond to the Lord, um, recognizing some things in this room. Would you just close your eyes with me for a moment? Just convinced the Holy Spirit is looking to minister in this moment and uh, grateful for his presence. And if you're here this morning and you've just been caught in, uh, you've been caught in failure or been caught with shame and guilt and, and you're like, that's just who I am. I just want to speak grace over you right now. Uh, that God would speak to you directly in this moment, in this place and just say to you tenderly, I know that you're failing. I know that you struggle. I know that you drop the ball. Uh, but I'm with you. I'm with you to uh, turn that all around. I'm stepping in right now today. I'm stepping into your life. And your failures are simply not an obstacle to me doing what I want to do in your heart and your family in your life. For some of you in this room today, just obedience has been the issue. And you've just, you're, you're in, but you're half in. And the stuff that God has called you to, radical stuff, and some of it you haven't even shared with people. And God just says to you this morning, throw your net out. Just, would you just trust me? Would you just do just what I'm asking you to do? And if that's you this morning, you might just resolve in your heart to say yes to God. Yes in this moment, whatever that is for your life, whatever he's inviting you into. And then just lastly, for every one of us in this room, Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves you. Some of you think he's, there's a drip of a tap falling on your life. I need you to know you are standing under a waterfall of grace. His love is just descending on you. Whether you're an Alma or a Mount Pleasant this morning, the grace and the love of God, he isn't holding anything back from you. He simply loves you. He simply loves you. 
And so there's things you've just been even afraid to ask for or didn't think it was for you or thought maybe I'm at the back of the queue or you blessed me recently, but maybe that's all you've got. And he would just say to you this morning, I'm looking to bless you beyond what you would expect or imagine even right now in this room in this moment. Here I am to touch your life. And you might just begin to invite him to do that. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you're doing in hearts and lives now. Thank you for your word. Come and meet with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.